Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. I went to college in Fargo at North Dakota State University. It was about three hours from home. And my freshman year, my parents wanted me to have uh, a car that was reliable. And so they graciously bought me a, a used car. It was a 97 Chevy Lumina. It's actually the car I was still driving when I moved here to Humboldt uh, five years ago. Um, I've now moved on. But I had that car for a long time, and it was, it was a great car. Uh, and the deal with my parents was uh, they, they got the car for me. Uh, I was responsible for putting gas in it, uh, but they would take care of the maintenance of the car. And so I was really grateful for, for them and for their help in that way. And how it usually worked, my, my dad is pretty handy, and so we, at that time we were changing our own oil on our cars. And uh, I'd, be at, I'd be at school, and then if I was coming home for a break, I would call my dad and let him know, hey dad, coming home for the weekend and my car needs an oil change. And so he'd say, okay, great, we'll take care of it. Uh, see you when you get home. And I remember uh, my senior year, that changed. Uh, so I was, I was coming home my senior year of college, call my dad, hey dad, I'm coming home for the weekend. Oh, great, looking forward to seeing you. And uh, my car needs, needs an oil change. He said, okay, well, uh, on your way home, stop at Walmart, and here's the oil you need, here's the filter, and when you get home, you can change it. <sighs> okay. <laughs> right? And I, I remember in that moment thinking, apparently car maintenance is on me now, right? The, those, those days are over. And uh, uh, two thoughts went through my mind. First, I thought, I really liked it when mom and dad paid for that. I, I really preferred uh, not having to pay for car maintenance. But, but I also had the, a second thought where I, I was kind of excited and, and encouraged uh, that my dad was, was saying to me, hey, you're, you're a grown-up. Like, you're an adult now. You've reached the point where you're ready to take care of this. You can handle this responsibility. And I felt like, yeah, that's great. Like, I'm, my dad thinks I'm a man, and so he's letting me change my own oil, right? Uh, so it was a step, it was one, one small step for me from de dependence on my parents to independence as an adult, and we, we've all had those experiences. This passage is that type of experience for the church. Uh, the Corinthian church, Paul described himself later in Corinthians as their spiritual father, and as the church's spiritual father, he's coming to them and he's, he's looking at who they were when he first met them as spiritual babies. And then he, he's looking at who they are now, and he's, as a loving father, he's challenging them to grow up, and then he's looking ahead to who God is calling them to be. So we're going to see the church's past, present, and future in this passage. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, 
as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So let's look first at where the church was in the past. In verses 1 through 2, Paul goes back in time. You see that past, past uh, tense in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not, could not in the past, address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Remember the context of this book? Paul was a church planter, a missionary, and Paul had gone to Corinth to plant a church there. You can, you can read the full story in Acts 18, but when Paul went to Corinth the first time, there were virtually no Christians. People had not heard the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so everybody in Corinth was not a believer, was not a Christian, and Paul's uh, Paul's first step when he came to Corinth was to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, and then as they turned to Jesus, as they became Christians, he, he established a church there. And because none of them were Christians, they were spiritual babies. Last week, Pastor Doug uh, looked at the end of chapter 2, and he held out these two paths, the, the worldly, the way of worldly wisdom and the way of spiritual wisdom, the worldly person and the spiritual person. And now here in chapter 3, Paul switches the analogy. Instead of saying worldly, he, he refers to it as people of the flesh. But essentially, you have non-Christians, people who are living by the way of the world and the way of their flesh, and you have Christ, spiritual people, people who are Christians, who are trusting Jesus. They have the Spirit of God at work in their heart. And when Paul first came to Corinth, everybody was in this category. Everybody was a worldly person of the flesh because they hadn't heard about Jesus yet. And so Paul, Paul wasn't surprised by that, right? Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. Paul says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the, the natural person, the unbeliever, isn't living by the Spirit. They can't understand the things of the Lord. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So when someone comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them, and they now know God's will, and they, they learn how to follow Him. 
when Paul first came to Corinth, his first concern for people was their salvation. He wanted, he preached the gospel to them and sought their conversion. He wanted them to move from a worldly, fleshly perspective to that spiritual perspective, to go from non-believer to believer. And when Paul first came to the church, when he first came to Corinth to plant the church, he didn't begrudge the Corinthians their spiritual immaturity. He wasn't upset with them when he first preached the gospel to them and they were spiritual infants. You see there in verse 2, when he first came, they were infants in Christ. And so what did he do? I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And we're going to get into that, what that means, milk versus solid food, in a minute. But basically, Paul said, hey, when I first came to you, you were babies. And that's what I expected out of you. That's how it works. Think about our expectation of babies. Babies are completely helpless. They're completely dependent They're incredibly needy. Babies require 24-7 care. You don't leave the baby at home when you run to high V, right? The baby has to have someone with it all the time. Babies are a lot of work. Babies only receive resources, right? They take from you. Right? You, have to, you have to nurse them, you have to change them, you have to clean, clothe them, you have to clean them. They only receive from you. Babies don't contribute to the economic well-being of the family. Right? You, don't, you don't look at your baby and say, when are you going to get a job? Right? They don't do chores, but it's okay. That's what we expect. Right? That's how it works. It's natural for babies to need that level of care and investment. We're not surprised by it. And it's the same for our spiritual life. When you start out as a believer, the expectation is that you're going to need some investment. You're going to need some resources poured into you. It's going to take some time to get you established and to take some steps forward. If you're brand new to Jesus, or if maybe you, you were, you have some church background in your personal history, but you kind of drifted away from the church and you're just now coming back and just now exploring Christianity again, don't be afraid to admit that. Be honest about that. If, if that describes you, if you're new to this spiritual journey, ask questions Join a growth group or a Sunday school class or a Bible study. Seek out someone that's further along than you in their spiritual journey. Talk to one of us pastors or elders. And and most importantly, be honest with God about where you are spiritually. A, A parent doesn't look at a baby. They don't have this idea that, wow, this baby's... I think this baby's really independent. No, they know exactly how needy a baby is. And do you think you're fooling God by acting more mature, more developed than you are? God knows how much you don't know. He knows how, how new and fresh all of this is. 
He's not surprised by it. So don't try to pretend like you're more mature than you are. Be honest with him. Don't pretend to be someone you're not spiritually. Oak Hill is a safe place to begin or to begin again a spiritual journey. If you're new to this whole Christianity thing, sometimes it's natural to think, well, I don't want to bother people with my questions, or I feel kind of embarrassed that I don't know the answer to this. It seems like everybody else knows how to find this book in the Bible, and I just have no idea. And so it can be natural for you to kind of like not talk about it or not, not reach out. Don't do that. We won't look at you and say, shouldn't you be further along than this? No, we're, we're excited about that. We're, we're very okay with where you are spiritually. We want to help you, right? A, a parent is eager to, in, to nourish their, chil- their babies, right? You want that little baby to have all the resources that it needs. You want it to be well-fed. You want it to be well-clothed and, and have shelter. And all, the, all the needs that a baby has, a parent is eager to give those, that baby those needs because they want that baby to flourish. It's the same here. We want you to have what you need spiritually to grow. So don't short-circuit that by acting like you're someone you're not. It's appropriate for someone that's new to faith to still have questions and still be growing and still be taking those little baby steps. So that's who the church was. That was that's the church's past. Paul says that was, that was right and appropriate that you were spiritually babies at that stage. But the problem is the church's present. The problem is where the Corinthian church was now. When Paul first came... They were spiritual babies, and that wasn't a problem. But now, several years later, their behavior is demonstrating that they haven't grown up, that they haven't matured. Look at verse 2 through 4. So Paul said, In the past, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. But now look at the change in tense. And even now, you are not yet ready. You were spiritual babies, needed to be treated that way, but now you're still acting like spiritual babies, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You weren't ready back then but you're still not ready now. You're still of the flesh. I mentioned a minute ago that a baby is only able to receive resources. Babies, babies are very self-centered, right? Uh, when the baby starts crying at two in the morning, they're not thinking, you know, I bet mom's tired. I bet she could use some sleep. I'm going to leave her alone for a while. No, the baby says, I need food now. My diaper is full now. I don't care what time it is, right? And it's okay. It's okay for a baby to be that way. It's okay for a baby to be self-centered and and only aware of and concerned with their own needs. But it's not okay for someone that should be more mature. 
It's okay to act that way as a three-month-old. It's not okay to act that way as a 30-year-old, right? There's, there's a, there should be a change in someone. They should be growing and developing, and it's the same for us spiritually. A spiritual infant, when you first are exposed to Christ and you first begin to take steps with him, you're not necessarily able to see and respond to the needs of others. You're just getting established yourself. You're just figuring this all out yourself. And that's okay. But when you stay in that state, it's not okay. There needs to be growth. The Corinthian church had reached an age where they ought to have been mature. They ought to have moved beyond this concern for themselves and instead start to be concerned about the well-being of other people. They need to start looking outside of themselves. And that wasn't happening. They were self-absorbed and they were acting like they were still controlled by the flesh and not by the spirit. See that in verse 3. He said, you're still of the flesh. For if there's jealousy and strife or quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? So Paul, the spiritual father, says, look at your behavior, kids. You're acting like babies. It shouldn't be this way. There was this spiritual clickishness in Corinth, right? I'm on team Paul or I'm on team Apollos. There's this very me-centered Christianity. So Paul, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. When you were babies, I fed you with milk because you weren't ready for solid food. But, even, but now, when you should be grown up, I'm still having to feed you with milk, not solid food. Now, at, at first look, it looks like what Paul is saying is, that the gospel is milk, but then there's something else that is solid food. There's kind of a more substantial teaching that we grow up and, and we're ready for. And that's not what Paul's saying. We, we see that because all through Corinthians, Paul's obsessed with the gospel. Paul says, when I came to you, I knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. All I want to do is talk about the gospel with you. He returns to the gospel again and again and again and again in 1 Corinthians. And if you look at, we're not going to go to that passage today, but if you look at Romans, when uh, Paul is addressing the Roman church, so Paul, Paul had not visited the Roman church. He wasn't the one that planted it. But he's, he's talking about, I, I'm hoping to come visit this church in Rome, this already established group of believers, and he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. So this group of Christians that he's never met, he says, I, I really hope that the Lord opens a door for me to come to Rome so that I can preach the gospel to you. They're believers, and he wants to preach the gospel to, him, to them. So it's not about the, the message changing. We graduate from the gospel to the real stuff. It's a, what Paul's addressing here is their, recept, their receptivity, their ability to receive the message. They're acting like babies when they should be growing up. So the Corinthian church, their Christianity was all about them. They had become a spiritual reservoir 
grace was pouring into them and it was stopping. It was, it was getting stuck there. Think about this. The gospel, the message of salvation is that you and I were created by God to love him, to walk with him, to enjoy him, to depend on him. That's what we were created for, but we've rejected that. We've rebelled against God. We've said, no, God, I don't want you to be in charge. I want to be in charge. And because of that, we are fundamentally broken people. We're fundamentally uh, wicked people. We deserve God's eternal displeasure and rejection. God should turn away from us and push us aside because of our sin. But God has not done that. He has sent Jesus to redeem us. He sent Jesus to live that life that we were supposed to live, to walk in obedience and dependence like we were supposed to. And then Jesus went to the cross to pay for our failure to do that, to take away our sin. And now, if we turn to Jesus in repentance and trust him as our Savior, we're free. We're forgiven. God's not upset with us anymore. God loves us and receives us as we're adopted into God's family. And that's glorious good news. That's the best news in the history of the world. And, and the Corinthians, they had received that message gladly. Yeah, this sounds great. I want that. But the gospel also means that God is now making us new so that we would love him and uh, enjoy him and depend on him. When, when we hear that gospel message, we, we begin to learn, hey, I'm not in control. I can't do things my own way. It's not all about me. I can't, I can't drive the car anymore. I'm, I need him to do it. I need to depend on him and, and do what he wants me to do. And so we begin to walk in obedience to God and we begin to love others. We begin to look to other people's needs and interests and to seek their benefit we begin to see people the way that he sees us, with empathy and with tenderness and compassion. And the Corinthian church wasn't doing that. They were receiving God's grace for them, but they didn't care about each other. They were acting like, this Christianity is for me, and it stops here, and I'm, I'm looking to benefit myself. And we can relate to that. The world that we live in, the culture that we are a part of, the water that you and I swim in, is a breeding ground for spiritual immaturity. We live in a hyper-individualized, consumer-driven culture. It's all about us and meeting our needs, right? So that gospel message becomes, it's replaced by a gospel that says God loves you, God exists to make you happy, God exists to meet your needs. It's all about you. God came to just give you everything you could ever want. And the church, instead of being a family of blood-bought brothers and sisters that I commit myself to, 
and I'm, I'm held accountable by, and I, I partner with, and I, I support and serve, instead of the church being that blood-bought family, the church becomes a place, almost like a restaurant. It's a place that I can take or leave based on my schedule, based on whether or not the preaching is interesting and makes me feel good based on whether the music matches my style and whether my kids have fun and are never bored. It becomes about me and not about the Lord. It's this fleshly Christianity, right? So Paul's describing here a carnal Christianity, a a flesh-oriented Christianity, and he's saying there is no such thing. That's not real Christianity. If you are of the flesh, you are not of the Spirit. A Christian cannot stay in infancy any more than a baby, maybe eight pounds when they're born, isn't going to stay that small. They're going to grow. It's the same for Christianity. It can't stay there. If a person does not progress out of a life that's characterized by worldly wisdom and following the flesh, that person has not been made new by the Spirit. If you find yourself in this place of spiritual maturity, Paul is warning you here. If you're behaving in a human way, if you're acting like you're controlled by the flesh, are you sure that you're a believer? Are you sure that you've surrendered your life to Jesus? It's not supposed to work that way. And before we move on to the church's future, I want to say this. Weakness is not spiritual immaturity. If you are feeling weak this morning, if you're thinking, oh, I'm just, I'm so weak. I'm, if you're struggling, if you are wrestling with God, if you're in a dry season or if you're walking through a spiritual valley where, where maybe God feels distant or, or you're suffering and, and you don't know what to do, um, if, if you feel overwhelmed and, and weak, that's not immaturity. That's what Christianity is. That, that weakness leads to dependence. And that's exactly where God wants you. So it's not, it's not sinful and it's not a sign of immaturity if you feel weak. Spiritual immaturity is marked by selfishness and self-centeredness. That's weakness, or that's immaturity, okay? So if you're feeling weak, Paul's not dropping the hammer on you here. He's dropping the hammer on those of us who are, who are selfish and self-centered. Now let's look at the church's future. Where does Paul want the church to go? And he wants them to go to spiritual maturity, So in verses 5 through 9, he answers that question, how do we grow up spiritually? How do we avoid that false, fleshly Christianity? We have to understand that God, God calls us not to be spiritual reservoirs, but spiritual conduits. Grace isn't supposed to come to us and stop. Grace is supposed to come to us and flow through us out to others. Look at verses 5 through 9. What then, is, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants 
through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. If, you, if you're stuck in that spiritual immaturity, you've misunderstood the role of, of the people God has put in your life to teach you the gospel, and you've misunderstood your calling as a Christian into gospel ministry. The people in the church are fighting for supremacy. They're trying to, to get themselves, see who's on the top and who's down here based on who they follow. So I'm, I'm with Paul, so I'm more spiritually mature than you. No, 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 I'm with Apollos, and so we're the spiritually mature group. And Paul says, it's not, that's not how it works. Who's, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're just servants, Paul and Apollos are on the same team. Paul's desire for the Corinthian church is that they would be spiritually mature Christians. Apollos' desire for the, for the Corinthian church is that they would be spiritually mature Christians. They have the same goal. Paul planted, right? Paul came in and planted the church. Paul sowed the gospel seeds initially. And then Apollos came in after him, and his job is to water the gospel seeds, to keep preaching the gospel to the church. But God's the one that made it grow. God's the one that's impressive. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. Who cares? Anybody can throw some seeds in the ground. Anybody can water them. God's the one that makes them grow. The miracle isn't from Paul or Apollos. The miracle is from God. Paul and Apollos, they're just servants. They're just on God's team, and God's the one doing the work. And so don't align yourselves with one or the other. Look to God who's making the growth. And Paul says, what you're supposed to do with me is follow my example. Again, Paul says, I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one that told you the gospel. How does a child learn to be an adult? They watch mom and dad. They see mom and dad's example and they follow it. And Paul says, do the same with me. Follow my example and step into spiritual maturity. Paul, Paul addresses this in, in the book. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So Paul says, look at me, I used to be spiritually a baby too, and I acted like a baby, but then I grew up, and now I'm different, now I behave like a man, so do the same. In chapter 9, here's how Paul, uh, here's how Paul approaches other people. He said, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So when Paul comes up to a group of people, he's not thinking, okay, where, where do I rank here? Am I, am I better than you? Are you better than me? Who do I need to align myself with so that I, I do the best? No, he says, I'm going to become whatever is necessary for these people to hear the gospel. When Paul's with the Jews, he 
adopts the custom of the Jews. When he's with the Gentiles, he adopts the customs of the Gentiles. He said, I just want to get the roadblocks out of the way. I want to I live in such a way that it's easy for people to believe the gospel because of me. That's spiritual maturity. That's Paul saying, it's not about me, it's about the message. So follow me. And then again in chapter 10, he says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, hey, listen, when I'm around other people, I'm not looking for my own advantage. I'm looking for their advantage so that they may believe. And then he says, copy me. Can you say that of yourself? Can you... Could you look at other people and say, hey, you want to know what it's like to be a Christian? Just copy me. Paul could. That's what we're called to in spiritual maturity. Live in such a way that other people can follow you because you are following Christ. And Paul's not the only one that does this. You remember John the Baptist in in John 3.30 when people are starting to leave John. They're not following John anymore because they've started following Christ. John says, listen, he must increase, but I must decrease. John says, hey, people are leaving me to follow Jesus? Perfect. That's exactly how it's supposed to go. It's not about me. Let me become less so that Jesus can become more. And, of course, Jesus is the best example of this. Matthew chapter 20, the disciples are obsessing over who's first in the kingdom. God, Jesus, let me sit at your right hand in your kingdom. Jesus says, listen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's spiritual maturity. Jesus comes in And he makes himself a servant so that people can know him. He humbles himself. Paul humbles himself. John the Baptist humble themselves so that people can know Christ through them. So the grace flows into their life and it spills out into other people. As a Christian, we can't get more saved. Our growth as Christians is not so that God will love us more or accept us more. No, that's a done deal. When when a parent has a baby, they love that baby all the way. That baby is their child. They don't become more their child as they grow. It's not about being more saved, but there is a trajectory to Christianity. There is a direction that your life grows. You're meant to grow beyond dependence and receiving into mature adulthood where you're ready to support others and pour yourself out so that other people can flourish. You're meant to move in that direction. Tim Keller has this definition of humility, and I think you can, you can define spiritual maturity by humility. Spiritually mature people are humble people. And, and Tim Keller says this, Humility, or spiritual maturity, isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So the way to maturity isn't, oh, I'm just a terrible person, I'm so bad. No, like you just stop thinking about yourself. 
You're too busy thinking about God and his kingdom and how to bless other people to, th- to be obsessed with yourself. You're not worried about where you stand. You're not worried about your status or accomplishments. You just want other people to know him. Keller calls it the freedom of self-forgetfulness. That's Christianity. There's this beautiful freedom where I don't have to worry about myself anymore. I don't have to be self-absorbed. I can let go of all that and I can just run after Jesus. So to, to bring us to the end, we have a trajectory as a church. Think about our, our church's mission statement. Know, grow, sow. So the first step in Christianity is to know Christ. We, we exist to know Christ personally. This, you have to start there where you come to Christ. You leave that worldly life and you embrace the spiritual life. You embrace God's forgiveness through Christ. You know him personally. It doesn't stop there, though. You grow in Christ. You grow in Christ as a family. So as you mature, you learn more about Jesus. You learn more of his love for you. You learn more about the church and how to be uh, in the church and loving other people. And then you sow Christ locally and globally for the glory of God, right? As you mature as a Christian, as grace pours into your life, it's naturally going to start spilling out to where other people begin to know Christ through you. You become a spiritual adult who's multiplying and bringing other people. So spiritual growth isn't this hard-to-define thing. It's just, it's just normal faithfulness and, member, and healthy membership. It's just entering into the life of the church and following Jesus in obedience. It's just loving your family in a way that points them to Christ and, and supporting the, the life and the ministry of the church in a way that blesses other people and, and engaging your neighbors and community in, in a way that they'll know Jesus. The gospel has been sown and then watered in your life and God is causing it to grow and as it grows, it bears fruit and more people know Jesus through you. So the spiritually mature person receives grace from the Lord, is steadily changed by it, and passes that grace on to those around them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sowing the gospel seed in our life. Thank you for the men and women who told us about Jesus and then nurtured the gospel, watered the gospel, And thank you that you've caused it to grow. Lord, I pray that we would uh, step out of fleshly, sinful self-centeredness and step into the freedom of self-forgetfulness, that we would look away from ourselves and look to you and seek to serve others. In in Christ's name we pray, amen.